Rachel, at least, and I had this great chat with soprano Rachel Willis Swanson, who has sung all over the place. She's been at the Met, she sang at Covent Garden, and she's going to be actually back at the Met this upcoming season, singing Countess. And we got to talk about all kinds of fun things relating to actually, little spoiler, being Mormon, <laughs> and then you know the arts and family and. All kinds of cool things. And she has three kids. She's amazing. Enjoy. What's your middle name? Is it a lot of letters? No, thankfully it's very e. short. Anne, no E. Oh my gosh, mine too. <gasps> Anne what? with an E. But I'm Anne with an E because Anne Shirley. Yes. I don't know. How could you not have an E? Have you read Anne of Green Gables? Because I... if so, you... Yes. Did you want to add an E? No. Just because of that? Rachel, no. your middle name is Anne? Yeah. yeah. Payne. What? We're the same, Rachel Payne. Oh my gosh. That is kind of crazy. I never knew that about you. <laughs> hey, you yeah. learn new things. Alisa, what's your what's your middle name? Jean, Jean. as in like denim, like you cool. know. Or also, although not spelled like it, as in like the building blocks of life. Good call. Right. Oh yeah, that would be, yeah DNA, like you Eugene. Yeah, yeah. It's Eugene, not... I think, is more of a man's name. Oh, yes. But it's not. I just have G-E-A-N. I don't have the N-E, the French version. It's not oh, part of my... Yeah, so yeah. it's more the either masculine in French or it's a, it's a Scottish name. As a, as a woman, you can just be G-E-A-N and it'd be a woman's name in Scotland. Huh. It's okay. I think that's the same in the United States. I've definitely known a couple of genes and that's their first name. But gene, like genetic material, G-E-N-E... Is mm-hmm. man's name. That's yeah. a man's yeah. name. Yeah, definitely. Def- definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so, guys, I'm sorry. I haven't been able to do much research about your podcasts. Can you talk to me about what it is that you're, what you do? And yeah. <laughs> can I, can I do this part? Do it. Do it. I'm going to call you RP. Okay. Just cool. for the sake of not saying Rachel and no one knowing who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, um, so we started this thing. So Rachel and I met, uh, RP and I met back in January of 20. 13 when I was working at LA Opera and she she lives in LA and we have a mutual friend a tenor who was singing with me who knew her from previous gigs and he said you guys should meet and so he introduced us and then we just started being great friends and talking about everything and we had so much in common because we're both LDS and we're both sopranos and so we just started talking about everything and we thought the things that we're saying are awesomely profound and we should record them somehow to help other people. And so it became really important to us to be vulnerable and to talk about the way things really are. And we call it it the transparent singer. And it actually comes from um, a sacrament meeting talk that Rachel gave, that RP gave in, um, um, that was called the transparent soul. But it's the same idea of just being authentic. And now authentic is a totally overused word. 
at this point, but but it's it's that idea of being your true self, allowing yourself to be vulnerable, to give permission to other people to be vulnerable, and just keeping it real. So we we are one of oh, our. Oh, slo- I love that. Yeah, love one of that. our. One of our slogans is um, dispense with pretense. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's kind of important, I feel like, I think we both feel, I think actually probably all of us feel this way, that it's kind of important today to create art that matters. And I mean, it always has been, but I feel like how we do that and how we communicate that is, you know, is kind of fuzzy right now because we have so many stimulus, right? We've got so much sort of coming at us. And I think in an art form that is in some ways, you know, it kind of requires you to be still, you know, even as an audience member, you kind of have to sit like one of my, one of the things, one of my favorite things that I had a professor say to me once was, you know, he has this German accent. He's like, Rachel, you have to listen to everything at least two times and don't say anything. Like he, he was very, <laughs> like, he was very serious about it. And I remember being 18 and saying, okay, okay. He's like, and never in the car. And I'm like, okay, okay. Never in the car twice. Okay. <laughs> and that's um, good advice. I it guess. is good advice, right? Like, I mean, and he's a composer, and I think that there's, you know, there's also an added layer when you're the person that is doing the creating. I mean, how many times do we go to an art gallery and we're like, oh, look, a painting, next, right? Yeah, yeah. um, On the other hand, though, you only, I think you're only obligated to respond to what you respond to. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I don't think it's, I think it's important in the vein of being transparent. I think it's important to not contrive your reaction to something and also i don't know stillness stillness that's an important way you're right i sometimes i've said in singing you have to feel like you're in a coma you know mm. sometimes if you're if you're tense <laughs> you have to go the complete opposite direction you have to be still but also i think you need to engage i mean wh- particularly as a listener i think you have to engage your attention to a really startling degree like you have to really have intense focus um i don't know it's it's funny it's funny what we're trying to achieve but in my opinion you're completely right. The artifice just takes people right out of it. Or who cares? Who cares about someone telling a story that they're a fake person and they're telling a fake <laughs> job? I think we suspend our disbelief for the sake of these stories because they enable us to envision emotional situations that we can relate to, even if the circumstances are unrealistic. Absolutely. You know, I just did Lohengrin. I did a really, really fantastic production of Lohengrin in Zurich. And the director yeah. was so How much was about it? storytelling. It was all about telling the story and about how the characters were feeling. And luckily, I got to work personally with the director in such a bizarre, acute way. First of all, he's the intendant, so mm-hmm. the general director of uh, Zurich Oper. And <laughs> he's also a director of opera. So he directed this production. I think it premiered in Vienna State Opera, but it was it's a shared production with Zurich. Mm-hmm. And anyway... He's busy. He was doing a new production of Landeslechens, but he was in the town and then he came to watch us and he got so excited about what we were doing. It was a huge compliment, actually. He decided to to come and do the rest of the directing himself. So anyway, for the last performance, though, Lohengrin was ill and luckily they had Piotr Bacala in town. Whoa. So he could sing the role because he did it one time over a year ago. Jeez. But it was it was not possible to memorize it because he only had one day notice and he hadn't done it in over a year. Whoa. So also he couldn't have learned the staging. It was really, really specific. So did he sing off staging. stage? Is, and, so he sang wow. from the side. Okay. Yeah. And then who did they have walk it? 
but the intendant himself, the general <gasps> manager of the company, walks the park. Well, he knew where to go. So that's He good. did. He knew it. And <laughs> I wonder if he felt like it was finally done correctly. Like for once, it was done exactly <laughs> as he wanted. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Vision, right? Like the vision of a director and you're talking about, um, you know, how how interesting this production was. And, and, and I'm fascinated with Wagner, you know, for multiple reasons, but like Wagner, he was such a storyteller. I mean, the, I think the reason why he chose the myths that he chose, you know, was to create a completely sort of separate world, right? That that could yet still be related through emotion and through the sort of universality of of experience. Yeah, know. I so. think also he himself was so emotional and he considered him Wagner, the character. He considered himself to be so special, so unique in the world. And maybe he thought he had to really amp up the drama to make other people understand him personally. I wonder Mm. if that was part of it. He was a major narcissist. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not like that sorry about it because of what he ended up creating, which he otherwise wouldn't have done. I mean, he pushed the boundaries to such a degree, but he really needed a lot of like, validation externally and he believed himself to be this like godsend to the world i mean very very interesting i was listening to this 18 hour long series of of uh seminars about him and i'm just learning tons about the guy himself but apparently when he was writing lohengrin he had this idea about what it should be so it was based on some myths that previously existed but he was sort of combining ideas and when he realized, he woke up in the middle of the night and realized that Elsa had to ask Lohengrin the question. So, I don't know, the premise of the opera is that Lohengrin comes and saves her and he says, I'll marry you and live with you forever, but you can never ask me who I am or where I come from. And she's like, okay, that's fine. I just don't want to die. You have to protect me from these people who are going to kill me because they think I killed my brother, even though I didn't, blah, blah, right, blah. Right. So lo- when Wagner's <laughs> writing this, he thinks it's the, it's a great love story. They can, they're so in love. And he writes this music that represents them so in love. And they have this pure love between them. But it's it's also sexually driven, but in like a righteous, sort of acceptable way. I don't know. It's really interesting. And then apparently... He just woke up in the middle of the night crying, sobbing one night, Wagner, because he realized that Elsa had to ask the questions. Mm. I wonder if, if he realized that, like, the character of Elsa, in order to be worthy of Lohengrin himself, she couldn't be this kind of compliant, the kind of woman who wouldn't ask any questions. She couldn't be that and be worthy of him. So she had to be strong enough to ask the questions. But that made it so he had to leave. I mean, it's a really tragic story. It also sort of mirrors Mm -hmm. the creation story in a way, right? Like you're you're told you can you can have all of this stuff except that thing, right? You can't ask me for that thing, and oh yeah, you know whatever that is, and then and then and then there's the fall, and she ends up having to you know. That is so funny you should say that because that is what I said to the director when he Hmm. told me how he wanted me to play asking the questions. That scene is a little confusing. Sometimes it's done irresponsibly, in my opinion, but um, you just go crazy. You're just like, oh, I'm crazy. What are the I'm asking the questions. (laughs) I said I wouldn't, but I'm going to do it anyway or whatever. But if it's deliberate, right, if it's a deliberate thing, because I said that to the director when he he told me that he said, yeah, exactly. You have to ask the questions. You don't have a choice. You have to ask Mm -hmm. and you have to choose to ask. You have to 
exert your free will in this way. And I said, oh my gosh, it's just like Eve. Yep. And he was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And I said, it's well, this just is like not, right. This is, this is a theological <laughs> thing that is kind of unique in, in Mormonism. To Mormonism. Right? Yeah. 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 Just tell me. He, did, you he didn't get seen it. the version that I have. Yeah. He so. kept saying the people, he's like, oh no, that might be the way the people who wrote the story of Adam and Eve wanted you to think about it. But that's not really... Like, he was really weird. He was so against the idea. But I, that's funny. That's exactly how it resonated with me, just like what you said. Like, Interesting. Like yeah. Yeah. Elisa and I actually were in Bayreuth last summer. And because sort of vocally... Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, oh, it was awesome. Like, I'm sort of making this shift into singing Germanic repertoire and heading out to Austria soon and all of this stuff. So we, we went to Bayreuth and she stayed with Adam so I could go and see The Flying Dutchman, which was so amazing. Was it? Was it, it was, a good production? I mean, it I was a good production. It. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, I loved one voice, and that was it, of everyone that I heard. Do you that, feel at liberty to say who that was? I'm just curious. You know, I actually don't know. <laughs> say it for me and then edit it out. No, I, whatever the, who the I, character I don't, was. I actually, oh, it was the, um, the father. Her father. Oh, okay. Yeah. Her father had this voice that was just so even and full and rich and clear I gotta look it up. <laughs> um, it was so great, but everyone else, I was like, Wait, why are we? Why are we? Why are we pushing everything? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, why are we? Yeah. Where's Where's the? Where's well, the tragically, space? do you guys find so few people know how to sing? Uh, yeah, it's really yeah, awful. We talk I, We I talk about that a lot on the podcast, that. actually. <laughs> I used to think that wasn't the case. I tried to relax my criticism of other singers because I think what we're doing is really challenging. I still feel that way. We should sure. we should give one another the benefit of the doubt. But people mm-hmm. don't use their technique. They don't utilize their technique always when they're performing. I get it, right? I mean, you guys get it. It's hard to remember everything you need to know in the middle, in the context of performing something in front of people with an orchestra and all the things you're trying to think about. And But anyway, it's just, it's sad. It's a tragic, sad thing that it would go all the way to Bayreuth where you yeah. presumably they could get anyone in the world. And also the other element of this, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much. You guys Not at all. This. We talk all so the much. time. You I go. love it. You just go. You talk. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to say the tragic thing is that so many people listening to singers don't really know what they're waiting to hear. Amen. And I don't know what exactly they value in a singer, but I think there's a lot that goes into it that isn't necessarily to do with technique or, or raw native talent or ability to act. So I don't know. It's sad. Whoever makes these casting decisions. On the other hand, though, I'm, I'm happy that so many people can have a career making this art. And honestly, a lot of the audience are not going to be as snobby as people who are trained. So maybe it doesn't matter. I wish, though. I mean, ideally, you'd go to the opera and you'd hear a fantastic voice in every role. That yeah. would be the ideal. Yeah. Even at the Met. Wouldn't that be nice? Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah, I would. Well, yeah, we talk, we talk, you know, you say, you know, we forget technique. But honestly, I think a lot of people, I think most of us, myself included, you know, up until a few years ago, I was not being taught technique. I was being taught how to make it through this particular aria that I've brought to my teacher. Like... Uh, Band-aids. Yeah, like I was being taught how to sing phrase by phrase instead of with an instrument that has an embouchure and has a, you know, a certain resonance space. I was not being, oh, wow. like, people, and these are, like, teachers at, you know, some of the best schools and, in you know, that are well-known and blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, Rachel did her undergrad at MSM. Just- 
Yeah. Just to put that out there. So you oh, know. okay. Yeah. yeah. So there um, you go. Yeah. And, but have you ever studied with Trish? Did you study with Trish? Oh no, I I am a sensitive soul. <laughs> and though I seem thick-skinned, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have little children. And yes. all we do is listen to Disney radio all day long. So, like, I know every word to every Disney song. It's such a weird... I'm like an idiot savant about memorization of Disney lyrics. But it's, you know something? It's really messed yeah, up. It's a good thing, though, because so, mon- so much other children's media is so auto-tuned that kids are developing these strange sort of laryngeal problems because they're not Fascinating. hearing... Yeah, it's, it is. It's actually really... It's kind of horrifying. But, like... It is awful. It's horrifying. It's also fascinating. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating, but it's... Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, no. I Abandon guess. all hope. <laughs> all ye who auto tune. Yeah. yeah, no. I wish. Seriously, though. <laughs> auto tuning is, um, and unfortunately, because it's become sort of a flavor, you know, in the sort of vocal world, like in the vocal genre, like in 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 pop singing and in really in musical theater, in pretty much everything except opera, um, you it's it's normalized, right? So you hear it yeah. and you're like, you're like, oh yeah, well that's, that's sort of what they do. Like part of production is that. So I don't know. Yeah. You have the expectation of like this hyper in tune singing, which that's the thing though. Can we, I wonder, can we do it? Cause I sang sort of recently, I had like kind of a bad experience where I, well, it was over a year ago, but the conductor was super hard on me and said a lot of harshly critical things and about my nationality he kept saying like americans being an american meant i couldn't be a true artist stuff like that it was ridiculous it was, it was a horrible experience but anyway singing with him was very hard on me psychologically and i did not mm. do as well as i didn't live up to my own standard let alone whoever else was listening and apparently my manager came and said that i was flat and he was horrified he was like you've never sung flat before what's wrong with you and I think it was all the the baggage that I was collecting over the course of the rehearsal period <laughs> through working with this really challenging maestro. But anyway, no, it makes sense. We Elisa and I were talking about this, you know, not necessarily about pitch as much as we were talking about, you know, what happens when psychologically, you know, our voice is affected by, you know, something yeah. that somebody says. And, you know, you can't necessarily bolster yourself emotionally to get into you know a a place physically that you need to be in in order to sing well and healthily and you know all of that yeah this is a great time to segue actually do I mean as long as okay so (laughs) so Rachel so RWS we um RP and I did a podcast yesterday without you because we were just kind of waiting around to see if you would I'm so sorry it's okay it's totally fine but, but we ended up steak temple day and so I was like oh yeah I better go and then I you know what is so stupid I had an alarm on my phone it went off literally 20 seconds after it had to after I put it in the locker and changed into my oh temple clothing well that means yeah. that, that you were meant to go there so you know it's it, and it also worked. you were meant to have a podcast without me what did you talk about Pray yeah tell. so well one of the topics that came up totally spontaneously RP brought it up was this idea of singing in church, like performing in church. 
and and what it's like. Oh, there it is. Like There's speaking of context, subject. and yeah, and and I told her, well, we, <laughs> RWS and I actually <laughs> talked about this for the Sunday School and Relief Society hours of church after sacrament meeting because wherein I exposed to you what a psychopath I am about this subject. <laughs> well, and so I thought it would be a good thing just, to talk about. You just poked the bear on the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm, just kidding, I'm just kidding. I promise to control myself. <laughs> You poke the bear, poke the bear. <laughs> Sorry. No. Yeah. So no, what did no. you guys say? What did, what conclusions did you come to without me? Well, well, you know my part, but RP, why don't you go ahead and, and tell RWS your well, part? But anyone listening doesn't know your part, right? I mean... I'll no, but I told you part. yesterday. I mean, I, I did it oh, on yeah. the... Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's true, yes. though. Are you, okay. you want to recap? At least you want to do like a condensed version of your part. Just, true. Everybody. Okay. That's true. Well, I'm just saying we talked, you and I talked about it in New York that day after church, yeah. after yeah, sacrament meeting. When, it's true. Yeah, and you, you were, were like, so evolved about it. I was very <laughs> impressed. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah, were. you were like, how did you get to be so well adjusted? And I was like, well, it's been a road. Like, it's not like it just happened. And it's been, you know, 30 some odd years in the making. I don't know exactly how many, but Rachel was talking about how it's just, you, you never know what you're going to get from people yeah, it's, in it's the congregation. bag. Yeah, some people are like, wow, thank you so much. You have an amazing amount of talent, and it really touched me. And you're like, thank you. And then other people are like, wow, have you had voice lessons? <laughs> like, um, <laughs> Can yes, you sing I... normal, too? Can you sing normal? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so... there, that there's Opry, what you did. That was Opry. Someone said this to me once, literally using the pronunciation Opry. They, I was they... like, um, I beg you. In Idaho? Opry? No. Well, oh. no, yeah, it was in Idaho, now that you mention it. It was. <laughs> At my great-grandmother's, like, 85th birthday party. Oh, that wasn't a church thing. I mean, it wasn't a church thing, actually. It was at a church, but, you know. It was, yeah. like, her birthday party, so it was. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. Church churchy people. Churchy community. I so, want yeah. to say, I'm so rude to interrupt you. I don't want to interrupt you, but I just wanted to tell you, because I hadn't said this yet, that you were so inspiring to me that I wrote a letter to President Monson about all that baggage <gasps> that I told you about this Sick president what? telling me President Monson would not ever be interested in my singing. I wrote a letter and I didn't send oh, yeah. it. It was more like a therapeutic event for me. And then I realized he doesn't need to read about how I was like personally jilted by someone telling me he would reject me and like how it represents a greater rejection from the church. And I realized, though, that it was kind of silly and that like what I was doing in my head was saying Heavenly Father would reject me. Oh. because these church people are rejecting me. Yeah, because they represent And so writing the letter made me realize, oh, Heavenly Father isn't rejecting me. And then I was like, oh, I'm fine. You're right. People can, right. It's a mixed bag. People can say <clears throat> all sorts of hideous or nice things to you after you sing, and then it's fine. It doesn't matter. It really matters how Heavenly Father, what your relationship is to, to Heavenly Father. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Will you, will you tell that, sto- that saga? Will you tell that story to RP? Because she hasn't heard it. And it's a good one. Oh, and, RP. And then, I, <laughs> and then I related something else back to you about sort of this, when you put yourself out there in this volunteer church, and you are a professional, but you're willing to volunteer you, what you do professionally, and then it's totally shoved back in your face. And you're like, whoa, okay. Like, and you're trying to be humble. Because that's the thing, mo- modesty in the church. And and not being yeah. a diva, and you know, even though we are divas. So anyway, <laughs> tell your tell your story. Well, I was <clears throat> I just moved to Germany to be fest. I was going to do a fest contract for a couple of seasons, mm-hmm. and I moved there in August. And um, 
in October, President Monson came to do a bunch of like multiple stake conferences throughout Germany. And the one that was particular to my stake was in Berlin. And I knew that he was going to be in the city of Dresden where I was living and to do, sorry, to do a special meeting for just like stake presidents and bishops. Which they often will have a special musical number of some kind in order to honor the. Well, just wait, wait for it. Just wait for it. Just well, I didn't know what they were planning to do, but when I heard that he was going to be in Dresden particularly and I was there, I was available, I thought, oh, man, if you don't at least offer to sing, like, how deeply will you regret it forever? Hmm. So I didn't know anybody, really, and I, I talked to someone from the stake presidency who actually just, I think I was sitting close to the front, and he noticed me during the congregational hymn singing, so he asked me about myself after, and I told him, I'm, I'm a singer, I'm here to be a soloist with the Zempa Opa, and he was like, wow, totally an opera goer it was kind of awesome to have an ally in the in the bishopric but Definitely. he um yeah and cool also he was a family doctor and ended up being my family doctor so it was like a lot oh. of things <laughs> but anyway um he yeah he said well i i'm not i don't know who's responsible for that meeting but here's the phone number for the stake president go ahead and give him a call because this is an interesting little anecdote in germany you don't have access to the phone numbers of people in the ward just as a person in the ward, it's not like they give you a ward directory. People, I think, would consider that a huge breach of their privacy. It's interesting. interesting. So mm. you can't, like, just call as take president, apparently. Although this is, I'm not familiar with this culture. So when he gave me the number, I was like, oh, great, super. So I just called him up. Super. Oh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> I called him up and I was like, hi, my name is Rachel. And I, this is in German. I mean, I served a mission in Hamburg. I speak comfortable German. So I'm not like, if for my, to my uh, standard. I wasn't forcing him to come to ter- come to my terms. I was like, I'm going to you on your own turf and doing it in your language and yeah, right. Yeah. But what I was doing, I guess, was culturally strange. But it, mm. nevertheless, I was like willing to just get by, just just overlook the the cultural problem for the sake of not regretting later that I didn't at least offer. So I said. Hi, you know, I don't know um, if you guys already have a special musical number planned, but I know President Monson is coming and I am a professional singer. And by the way, that was the month that I was on the cover of BYU magazine. So I was like, I'm super special. I'm a special singer who's on the cover of BYU magazine. Have you heard of, do you know, do you know BYU? Do you know BYU magazine? Yeah, I'm on the cover of that. I didn't say that. I did not say that. I just was thinking it. I was like, "Mm, me, I'm so special. And I'm on the cover, like the cover cover. No, I'm just kidding. But what I said like the glossy part like, in, the, in, uh, in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Picture the cover. That's me. That's what you see on the cover is me. Yeah. <laughs> no, but anyway, I just said, I'm new in your stake. You don't know me. I'm sorry to do this because I know it's weird. I'm not really that into self-promotion in this way, but I just feel that I would really regret if I didn't at least offer to provide a special musical number. And he said, well, the big meeting already has a choir that's been practicing for months. And I was like, yeah. I figured, but I mean the small meeting that's in Dresden, not the one in Berlin. And he's like, well, I'm not responsible for that, but I got to be honest. Like, there's no way anyone's going to be interested. And I was like, oh, okay. What? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, um, oh, I I mean, sorry. And he's like, yeah, I just don't want to give you any false hope. Like I can offer, but there's no way anyone's going to be interested in that, what you're offering. Interesting. Basically it's valueless and crappy and you should go kill yourself. Like that's what I'm hearing, of course. (laughs) And so I was like, he goes, yeah, I'll let you know. I'll call you back. And I was like, okay, cool. Thanks. Bye. 
and I hang up and I'm crying. I'm cry. I was so Aww. crushed. I was hurt to such a degree. I it was weird because I don't know why, but I hadn't realized at that point how much power, how much authority like I defer to in a stake president. You just assume this is a sensitive person that you can trust. And then here I am offering what I consider to be a really my best thing that I have. And he's like, yeah, that's disgusting. Everyone hates you. And that that's what I heard and what he said. So it was really hard for me. And then President Monson came and gave, by the way, the, the meeting with the multiple stakes in Berlin. And the circumstances of attending that meeting were challenging. We, we had rented buses, the ward rented buses. And they, we didn't like say an opening prayer or anything. No one was speaking to one another. It was like dead silent. The whole, what turned out to be like a four hour journey. It should be like less than two hours. It's like oh, heavy man. traffic. It was so awkward. And I kept trying to engage people in conversation. And I remember trying to chide someone about their funny pronunciation of German and Dresden. They just were deeply offended. Like it was so awful, the whole experience. And then we finally get there. We were supposed to get there really early, but we ended up getting there right on time. We go in and sit down, and President Monson gave the driest, weirdest meeting I have ever been to. It was not for me. It was like, and I, I remember thinking, it shook me. I had this bad experience mm. with the stake president, and then President Monson, I was like, who even is this guy telling this dry, just bone dry is the only way I can describe. How, he told these can stories I ask how that, long ago this was? How many years ago was this? 2012, so it was five years ago. Okay. There's a woman that I taught on my mission who went to the same meeting and she told me afterwards that it was the most spiritual experience of her life and that she felt he was speaking directly to her and all the things that you tend to feel in um, what turns out to be kind of a very American general conference, which we project to the whole world, but it is nevertheless in English. People tell jokes about trucks. It's very geared to an American audience. Yes. In this context, President Mont, so it ended up for me being a, a, actually a big um, testimony of his prophethood because mm. he was able to, for once, give them the message the way they want to hear it culturally. So for German's taste, he just said a bunch of facts. Here are some things. Like, it was not, he didn't make colorful jokes. He wasn't like, colorful jokes? That's not what I meant. <laughs> there was no use of profanity. No, I'm just kidding. It, it, well, it wasn't. Obviously, there never is. But, um... Yeah, he was. It was just really German. It was so German. His his huh. his carriage, everything about it, the whole his turn of phrase. It was so German. It was so geared to them, and people loved it. And I realized, you know, I can give them that meeting. It wasn't for me. I was just sojourning briefly in the city of Dresden. I wasn't there forever. These people live there forever. They deserve to have once in a while the prophets speak to them in their way. So even though it was in English and it was translated, it was still it was so German. And so anyway, that was a good experience in the in a way, but it was also hard because it wasn't for me personally. And I was coming to it with a lot of suffering because of what the state president, which, by the way, he ended up writing me back. But he didn't excuse me. He did respond. But he wrote an email to my husband after he told me he would call me back. He wrote an email to my husband. Oh, thank control your wife. No, I'm just kidding. But he said he said in the email to my husband, he's like. Yeah, no one's interested. I offered, but they were like, ew, gross. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. I don't remember exactly what he said. But he just said they're not interested. He kept using the word interested. That's the thing. This is, that stabbed me. He just kept saying, yeah. Nicht Keine Interesse. Keine interessiert. Keine Interesse. Which I was like, wow, you know the other context that I've heard that from Germans? Yeah, being a missionary for the church. Thanks. Aww. You're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome for the thousands of rejections. And now I'm getting it from a stake president awesome. well and our voices yeah. our singing voices can definitely be a missionary tool and we are vulnerable when we share that part of ourselves so there's yeah. a definite connection there 
But you know what? That's the thing. You helped me so much, Lisa, because I didn't. You sort of brought me to brought to my attention to consider. This is so silly that I hadn't, but to consider it from his perspective. So he's probably this poor sick president is probably even more excited or whatever, at least as excited as I am to meet the prophet. He doesn't want to do anything weird or wrong. (laughs) And then here comes this girl that's like, this man grew up in East Germany. He's never left East Germany. He doesn't know how the rest of the world is. And I probably to him am like this exuberant, bizarre, inappropriate oddity that I'm like presenting myself and saying, I want to sing for the, maybe he thought, Oh wow. She wants to play the kazoo for the prophet. That's probably what he thought. (laughs) That's probably what he thought. Or like I come to him and I'm like, on on BYU magazine, I'm holding a kazoo. Yes. I'm a specialist. My instrument of choice. My instrument. What's your instrument? Yeah. Mine is like the kazoo, the spoon harp. (laughs) That's right. Whatever. Or like I've taken, um, three and a half weeks of, of interpretive dance classes and I'd really like to perform yes. something that I've entitled um, renewal like I mean what, what do you think was my happening? gift but, to the world yeah. Yeah. So he just, it's okay for him to have perceived it that way but I, I imagine that when he if he asked because he said he would he was like yeah you guys probably don't want this but there's like this creepy girl I mean I don't know what he said but it doesn't matter the point is that it wasn't a personal rejection from the lord even though it really was hard not to see it like that at the time well and it is very interesting like I really I really I think that your perspective on what that meeting sort of was as far as like what it was for you and then what it was for other people is 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 really telling right because it goes to show that so often it's what we're bringing right and it's it's um and it's what we're open to or what we um you know or culturally what we're expecting or right right like there there are all of these factors and like when it comes to performing in church like all of those things like one of the things i was saying to elise yesterday is that you know i so i was visiting my family for pioneer day right Utah uh-huh. has, right, the, the holiday for Pioneer Day. Yay, yeah, where are you home. from? Where are you from in Utah? Um, my parents live in a tiny town called Mapleton, which is just south of okay. Provo. And, uh-huh. yeah, they moved there in, like, 93. So I was only there for a few years but because um, I was done. Um, but it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and But th- the thing for me is that – so I went back, and they're like, well, you have to sing in the ward when you come. And it's like, okay, okay, I will. And, and I think what you're describing is, I think we all maybe feel this way. I definitely feel this way. If I don't feel like people really want to hear me, then I'm like, peace out. I don't have to say. I'm not doing this. Yeah, I'm not doing this, Nobody got time man. for that. That's right. Yeah. I don't, I don't need, I don't need, like, this isn't, I, I do I'm this. I'm not begging you to yeah, listen to me. Exactly. I get like, paid I, to do this. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right. I get paid to do this and, um. And here is my soft, squishiest part of myself, right? Here is my little heart that if you poke it too hard, (laughs) it may just stop. So, like, I don't need this, right? I mean, but... um, but it's always an interesting experience because even even now, like, and this is what I was mentioning before, like, even now when I'm singing um, in church... I still feel in some ways like a 13-year-old girl who is awkward and like the voice is there kind of, <laughs> you know, but it's like... Oh my gosh, I am exactly the same. Yeah. It, That's at, hilarious. It's, it's so, I just think it's, it's... so much more vulnerable than like singing at the Met is easier for me than singing in sacrament meeting. 
I mean, because all of these people, like, nobody paid to have you there, right? So. Oh my God, <laughs> you guys are my tribe. Where have you been all this time? No <laughs> and one so, understands this feeling, and you're oh, articulating man. it exactly. I mean, like, yeah. Exactly yeah, I had a church job with um, this local Presbyterian church. And I also sung, you know, many high, ho- high holy day services and, you know, with the Catholic church. And every time I've sung at these churches, even, I feel... Easy peasy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm like, here it is. And they're always like, oh, it's so lovely. It's so beautiful. Da, 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 da. And even if nobody comes up and says anything, they accept my voice as part of the service. Yeah. So it's not this other thing. Why are we like that in our church? Why is it like, that's so weird. You're right. Why is it separate? Yeah. I I feel like, honestly, there's not enough room for us to be accomplished because it takes away from the modesty element. And so in, in when we're hired to sing in another church, which I did week before last, I sang up in Salt Lake at an Episcopal church and I sang a Bach, uh, a, a solo, soprano solo from a, a Bach cantata. And, um, and everybody afterwards was very magnanimous toward me, and I felt their sincere appreciation. And it was it's it was very different from the way that I feel after I sing. Well, and New York apart aside, because New York is it's just different. Different, yeah. yeah. But but in general, in sort of mainstream Mormon congregations, there is a really mixed bag, and and maybe because. Maybe there's some jealousy there, or maybe because a lot of people come up to me actually after after I sing and say I've always wanted to be a singer. So there might be kind of some of that because in the church we, there is so much music, and we're raised with music, and from the time we're kids we're singing, and we're taught to sing, and we're taught songs, and people sort of have this, you know, leaning toward wanting to be the a musical. singer, wanting yeah, wanting to yeah. be an angel, you know, in the choirs of heaven or whatever it may be, or in the Motab, oh, you know, which Motab. is even better than heaven. So. Does everyone ask you guys? <laughs> Always. Like, oh, my gosh. Yes. Are you going to sing in Motab? Yeah. Are you going to sing in Motab? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, I don't think they'd take me, probably. <laughs> right? I always think that. Well, I, couldn't, right? I couldn't get into the lowest level audition choir at BYU. I was rejected. So oh. I don't imagine the Motab yes. is very interesting. There's this but, little thing you know, about blending. <laughs> There's this thing about blending and certain voices. We don't just do don't well, really do it very well. I, but... I can blend. But the thing is, someone said to me actually a couple of weeks ago in church, I just really want you to sing with the tab choir. And I said, but oh, who's going to pay my heart. bills? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> bless her heart. You know what? Nothing against the tab choir. That's Absolutely. brilliant. And I bet that it is a super spiritual experience about being in that choir but and you know what else I have I have longed to sing in a choir for years I mean when I went to BYU I went to BYU Idaho my freshman year and I did sing in women's chorus there but when I transferred to BYU for my uh, sophomore year because I wanted to take um, voice lessons from Clayne Robison but anyway uh, I transferred and then Hmm. I couldn't get into any choirs and yeah. I just missed it. It's like, wow, singing with other people is there's something so beautiful about being Absolutely. unified in your voice. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's for some voices, in my opinion, is actually unhealthy to blend. But that's yeah. the thing. Heavenly Father didn't make every voice blendable. That's he must right. have done it on purpose. That's right. Well, this See, is that's why it's important that you guys are meeting right now. Yeah. I want you to talk Rachel about Payne, that. Because Rachel Payne, you're not a blender either. Oh my gosh. No, in no. fact, I had an experience. <laughs> I had an experience. Yeah, Alisa. I, I, on the other hand, have had a lot of success in choir, so <laughs> I guess I'm a blender. I but, have a hard time believing that, though, because I've heard your solo voice. Yeah. I hate to be 
like make jumping to any conclusion without having heard it. But it seems like you probably did have to compromise your yeah. residence, mm-hmm. and oh, maybe if you did yeah. it enough, you would it would hurt you. Yeah, definitely. I yeah. don't know. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. you have discovered the secret. In which case, congratulations. I remember. Yeah. But I'm just saying. I remember in third grade. Third grade. I was singing in the Christmas choir, and I had a teacher come up to me and say, Rachel, your voice is beautiful. And I said, thank you. And she said, but we can't hear anybody else. <laughs> and I was, mor- I was mortified. <laughs> As an eight-year-old, I was like, oh, no, what do I do? You know, how do I, how do I fix this? And I tried for years to become, oh, I'm sorry. you know, to become less, to be quieter, to be, to be, mm, to fit in, it. in a way. Yeah. I mean, you know what? Right? Screw that crap. People might pay you to sing Wagner. I'm just saying. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and as, as it turns out, yes, yes. <laughs> um, so, uh, it, but it's, but what's so interesting is, you know, growing up in the culture of, you know, everybody plays their part, but there's an overemphasis potentially, not always, but there often is an emphasis on, not trying to be more than what you are, which which sometimes gets misunderstood as, I think, um, being, small. being small, exactly. And, yeah. and, and the thing is, if God made you a trumpet, you will never be a cello. You know, you, yeah. you'll, you never will. You, you yeah. can try and, you know, you might be able to sound like a French horn as a trumpet, but guess what? There's already a French horn, and it's great. Let it do its job. And it's going to be better as a French horn than you as a trumpet. That's or right. As a French horn. Exactly. Yeah. Like you being your best and most authentic self is, is how the you best serve service you can the do. World. That's right. Amen. And and I feel like that's a conversation. At least, and I have this. You know, we talk about this all the time um, about the importance of that kind of authenticity, especially in a culture that in many ways just doesn't understand it, right? Like we are a culture of worker bees. And the sort of the thing about worker bees is that they're all kind of identical in a way, you know, and they all work really hard. In our lovely Deseret. Yes. And and, and we work really hard (laughs) and we serve and and then then we die. Um, But there's a way to do that that actually is supportive and actually is encouraging to to be the individual that you are i think um but it is very it's fighting against the grain especially in small town communities where there are a lot of people that that are making choices that work for them uh but if you have, they're never challenging the status quo right right and and maybe they don't need to maybe that's not their journey uh, but but it is mine, right. right? And like I have to honor yeah. that. Um, so. yeah. yeah, I guess that's the question. Then is there room for people like us? And I think they continually tell us in general conference that there is. And I, you have a personal testimony. I have a personal testimony that says that there is. So this is a dichotomy that I struggle with consistently, which is just I don't know where I fit. Who yes. who can I confide in? Who are my people? Well, you know, you, I'm trying. You we're found trying two here, so hard. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. Yes, I'm so glad. yes. But it is. It's just. It's a genuine uh, struggle. But I think I had a funny thing because I was at the temple yesterday, 
And I was thinking about this exact topic and thinking, if what you want, Heavenly Father, are a bunch of compliant, like obedient people that never question and are quiet about it and temperate and everything very moderate and small and controlled. And I just thought, I am none of those things naturally. And I'm working really hard to becoming that way. I don't know if that's the right oh, no. thing because often it's unpleasant. But then I thought I actually had this feeling. I don't know if it was inspiration or if it was just me telling myself a joke. But it was, well, I knew you were going to be loud. So I made sure your sounds would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> that's adorable. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I knew you couldn't shut up. So you might as well make pretty sounds. It makes, you know, I just thought of something and now, of course, it left me. This happens to me. I get these brain farts and then it's just gone. Um, it'll come back. It'll yeah, come back. It'll come back. It will. It well, will. I don't actually, I really don't believe, oh, this is what it was. I mean, Brigham Young was the lion of the Lord, right? He was right. someone and, and did Fierce. things as a prophet that were like, you know, a lot of like <laughs> raised eyebrows, a lot of things like, I, I mean, I, I think the foundations of Mormonism are much more accepting of the fringes in a way like the, um, you, you know, of 19th century romanticism. Absolutely. I mean, the kind of opportunities that women had in the early days of the church were absolutely unheard of in, in Christian compared to now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. And even compared to now, I see what you're saying. Like, yeah. like, you know, having our own society, having our own even somewhat you know like hierarchy and you you know um the kind of mother's blessings all of these kinds of practices that were happening in the early days of the church were very unique to um you know to mormonism and i think that that um decisions that are made in fear and not to say that you know i, I think happen and it's important to be honest with ourselves about um you know when we yeah, like you were saying like you went to the temple and you were like trying to figure out like how can i be more x y and z and maybe it isn't so much about becoming more that way it's about understanding in our own hearts and in our own minds what it is that we actually need and need to give i don't know if that makes any sense like yeah yeah but I feel it's a different thing because, you know, like a square can never say, you know, well, you know, I'm, I'm meant to be round, but maybe if I melt myself down, I can, you know, go into a mold and become a square instead because that's what I'm supposed to be. But I think the idea of supposed to is actually potentially really detrimental. Like the yeah. only thing that we're really supposed to do is develop our relationship with God and become more like Christ-like. And I feel like the breadth of what that means is as... We don't understand. Yeah, it's as individual as each of us. Ooh, I have a quote. I have a quote. I love quotes. Um, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, who said that? This is um, Howard Thurman, but I, I, it was probably a quote from a Brene Brown book, if I had to guess. I just, I wrote it into oh, my her. phone because I was like, ah, yes. So, um, but it could have been, Oh my yeah. gosh, say it again. It deserves a second, a second listen, Reading. please. Okay, yes. sure. Don't ask what the world needs. 
ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Oh, man, that chokes me up a little. That's really beautiful. (laughs) I liked it, too. Yeah, right? It's not about being a French horn if you're a trumpet. Yeah, it really isn't. (laughs) oh man someone was telling me recently that she used to believe because of forget yourself and go to work etc that your purpose was to forget yourself go outside of yourself do as much service externally as you could and then ultimately you'd probably be taken care of by somebody else because we're all doing that for each other she said she realized that she was so depleted as a mother and a wife that she it was she was she didn't have enough to give anymore so she which is i think something many women experience Um, Anyway, so she decided to turn inward and she started looking really deep within and asking Heavenly Father, what do you think of me? Like, do you think that I'm worthy of a little of my own attention? And she said the more she does that, the more love she has to give everyone else and the more she the more love she just experiences for the whole world. Mm -hmm. She feels compassionate toward other people. She realizes that the purpose of life is connection to other human beings and that each person has a seed of divine within them. And that's really the only thing you need to know about most people. You know, you just look at them. You need to acknowledge their, their divinity that lies sometimes dormant within them and sometimes active. And maybe that's the, that's the thing that comes alive. Maybe that's the thing. If we if we have yes. the spark of divinity within us, and then we each that maybe that does come alive when you when you focus on <clears throat> what it is that fulfills you and what it is. That, yes. Yeah. I I think so. I yes. I've always had this theory that, and I'm going to get a little bit churchy. I'm going to get a little bit religious for a moment, but <laughs> we've always been talking had this, about church a lot today. It's I good. know we have, yeah. and you know what? It's okay because yeah. Um, do we do you avoid that generally? I thought that was sort of the thing. Is that yeah, no, we don't. We don't, sorry. We we don't it, avoid it. Totally professional. We don't really talk about religion at all. Yeah, we, we never we, refer we, to God. Oh, or I'm sorry. Like if, if no, I it's totally fine. Misunderstood the objective. No, <laughs> this is we go wherever we kind of go wherever we're supposed to. Go. Where the wind takes yeah. us. Well, yeah. Well, you're. I think you're our first. Is is she our first LDS guest? Probably. Yeah, I think so. So most of the time we don't talk about church stuff because, you know, our guests are not church pe- church People. members. They're okay. with us. Yeah, they're not. They're of different faiths. And so we just kind of sometimes maybe we talk about we talk about it more in a more gen in a gender in a more neutral way. We talk about um, religion or higher power kind of uh-huh. kind of stuff. We don't. Yeah. We don't make it very specific. Oh, this is way Mormon the way we're talking about totally. this. Yeah, the verbiage, <laughs> everything. Maybe, it is, I but I'm going to get I'm going to get raised myself. Not at all. Don't no no okay. no. It's nice well, yeah, that we could all it just is sort what of it talk is. about. It. It's great. It's great. Yeah. And certain people will relate to it more and others will be like, "What?" <laughs> but Next, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what I was going to say, I'm going to get kind of new testimony on everybody for a second. Please. So the in reference to the body of Christ, <clears throat> all of us as followers of him are his are the body of Christ and so like all these children of God on the earth are are unique parts of the body and just imagine if it was like this big thing that had all fingers or something you know if we all try to be the same <laughs> yep. you know instead of instead of recognizing our uniqueness and our you know what we have to contribute you know, personally by yeah, going inside and figuring out what makes us come alive, then uh-huh. it's going to be some kind of mutant, like strange animal, you know, but it's, if we are true to ourselves, then the body will be beautiful and the body will be complete and whole and will function awesomely. 
Yeah. Well, in a way, that's sort of a microcosm of of really the world itself, right? I, I've I've talked about this a little bit. Like, I may have actually mentioned it in in that talk that you mentioned earlier. Like, if if water suddenly decided, you know what, I'm going to change yes. one of my essential building blocks. I'm going to no Components. longer be yeah. I'm going to no longer be too. Um, two O's. I'm going to two H. Yes, let's do two H's instead. Uh-huh. I mean, the entire world. <laughs> Rachel never took chemistry, as it turns out. <laughs> There's only one O. There's two H. H two O. Yeah. So you H2O. could go. Let's do it like this. If you say I'm going to take another O, <laughs> so it's H two O two. Then it becomes undrinkable, and it's hydrogen peroxide. Thank you. I let's decide. You're welcome. I'm My not, dad is a chemist. Yes, if I am. To this, you should be very proud of that part. I am yay. no longer going to be water. <laughs> I am going to be hydrogen peroxide. Why? Which is caustic and undrinkable. And yes. If you pour it on a wound, it hurts. Yes, it, it does. It cleans, but it hurts. See, and there's a place for that, and there's someone who is that. But if I am water, then that's what I am. And, it needs to be water. Yeah, and water is beautiful, and it has all different kinds of forms, right? And it can be in many places, and right. I, I mean, I feel like, it, you know, or what if it was like I wanted, I want to be fire instead. Like you, the acceptance of what we are, I think, is one of the hardest things. Yeah, can we? It's I, so I, important. Yeah, I, I have so a, important. I have another segue into an interesting topic that. RWS and I, yeah, that we covered in New York that day, um, uh-huh. uh, just sort of bouncing off of what we were just talking about, um, springboarding, um, is <laughs> that is this this idea of well, and it's interesting because um, I think Alicia Keys maybe two years ago or something did this whole I'm not going to wear any makeup anymore movement, uh-huh. and she was, and I don't know if she's still doing it or not because I don't she's really follow so her that pretty. much. But I thought it was cool. So beautiful even without makeup. Yeah. Just put it out there. Mm -hmm. I thought it was cool and I was like, I'm going to do it. And then I posted on Facebook and I got some backlash from the older generation. They were like, what? Um, I think actually there was a quote um, from someone in my parents' generation who said something like, Spencer W. Kimball said, "There's, there's no... There's nothing wrong with putting a fresh coat of paint on an old barn or something like that. And I was like, oh, geez. Like, I know. I was like, oh. Thanks for calling me an old barn. (laughs) I know. Appreciate that. Do I smell like there are pigs living? Like, (laughs) what? Barn means child in Danish, though. So maybe it was. uh, Oh, an old child. It does. Spelled the same way. B-A-R-N. It means child. That's all they were trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, right. An yeah, old right. child. Yeah. No, not at all. <laughs> so this is why we have movements. It's to counter sort of the mentality of past generations that we're ready to to move on from. But yeah. um, anyway, yeah. so we were talking a little bit about sort of, and this is another topic that we talk about a lot on The Transparent Singer, which is how um, in this digital age where they're filming opera and operas are in movie theaters and we're having a much closer look at opera singers than ever before. Look, and a nose hair. Sorry, go everything on. That, everything <laughs> that that's brought with it, you know, this pressure to look good and, and the emphasis yeah. on looking good versus sounding good or singing with technique and how that all sort of um, has rebalanced our industry. Comments? Oh yeah, I do. Sorry, I th- I thought you weren't done. Are you done? Were you? Did you want me to comment I, on? 
Yeah, I think at this oh. point we can we can do some comments and then take I it feel from like okay, I feel like this is such a hard subject because you do want everyone to be beautiful. I mean, ideally everyone's beautiful. That's right, right? But, but on the other hand, beautiful? what sort of horrible people are saying, you know, I would go to the opera tonight. I would, but I just don't want to look at fat people. I just don't want to do it. So oh, I've I'm definitely known go. some, which are really terrible. But, but what I'm saying, okay, you so live in LA. That there is a person who says that. That yeah. there's a person who's like, yeah, I don't want to look at fat people. That's disgusting. Fat people don't deserve to have their stories told. Ew. Like, okay, if a person, a horrible, hideous person, in my opinion, is saying those things, do we cater the whole profession to that person's opinion? And what percentage of the overall population is that person anyway, right? I mean, right. are we yeah. talking one in a thousand? I mean, right. of all the people that you know, how many of them are that horrible? But maybe it's true that everyone would say, man, that's a good looking person up there. And I will say I have found the standards of opera are different and they are more favorable towards singers than they are in other like Absolutely. performing arts professions. Absolutely. So there, but, so there, this notion, and it's also not new, I mean, I was reading the autobiography of Eileen Farrell, who's a singer I deeply respect and love. I mean, yeah. such oh a gosh. beautiful native instrument. And yes. I don't think she was always techniquing. <laughs> mm -hmm. Sometimes there was some oh. weird things happening. I don't even care, though. It was so artistic. And she was really interested in telling words. Like her primary obligation she felt as a performer was to declaim text in a way that would matter to you. So not about mm. diction either, just about humanism. And I really respect that. Wow. But um, she said when she auditioned for the Met in 1950, the only thing they said about her, and like, I don't know if you can hear, I wish we had a clip or something. I wish I had a clip to show you what she sounds like to show anyone listening. Well, we could she put something in. She was an outstanding, well, maybe you should do it. Yeah. She was an outstanding singer, such a beautiful instrument. And all they said about her was amateurish and fat. That's all they said. And they did not hire her. And she had a career that was different. She came in through the back door. She was a radio singer. And yeah. speaking of radio singing, this is funny, though. So it's not new. It's not new to fat shame women. It's not new to fat shame women in opera. It's not new to say everyone has to be beautiful. And it's not new to love people for being beautiful. So I don't know. I don't know if it's even changing that much. I know that when I see myself film singing opera, I want to go on Atkins like to yesterday. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> well, it's hard aww. to not be beautiful. And I know that singing makes you a little, I mean, like singing opera is a really intense experience if you're yeah. doing it in a way that's like delicate and not sweaty you might not be singing Wagner do you know what I mean that's or right. like I I don't know like it's a very yeah. engaging experience and so it's it's uh it's a little I'm not sure I'm not my personal opinion is that we should all um I, well what I wish is that more people responsible for productions cared about making the singers look good often I've had the experience that they have an idea about what the costume should look like and then they don't care who's cast they don't care what you look like. Mm. They just want to put that costume on stage. And I think, you know, if you made little tweaks here and there, I would look 100 pounds that's better. That's a mistake. Because yeah. at the end mistake. of the day, it doesn't reflect nobody's going to notice how that. pretty those sequins are if you have put it, you know, if you haven't tailored it yeah. to your singer. Like, I completely agree. Nobody is going and to notice. And the best designers are the ones who alter their designs for the sake of the body they have to costume. That's right. And every, I mean, even if you're the thinnest person in the world, like. You can be made to look you, bad. You really can. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because somebody, you know, yeah. if you have like, I mean, there are different shapes, right? There's square, there's pear, there's, there's boy, there's yeah. all of these different sort of shapes that we have. And if you create something that is unflattering for that figure, then, yeah. you know, shame on you because you know what you've got to work with. So but work this with is it. also, 
but we're saying this also from the same trickle down from that old idea put new paint on an old barn or whatever like we want everyone to look good so i struggle with this also because i think is the purpose of a person to look beautiful if it's not explicitly in the text is it really so important for example for leonora in mm. fidelio to look beautiful she has to look like a guy for crying out loud yeah. so her appearance is less important and also probably uh, there's a big cultural element at play here in the united states women are expected to be beautiful if you're not a beautiful woman as a woman you're failing in the biological imperative that's sort of the way we treat women in my from my perspective that's just what it feels like women need to be thin and beautiful and if they're not then they're failing that's the idea and that's horrible Mm. that's really horrible and i don't think that's the experience of every other culture my husband's from denmark there is a lot of pressure on women to be thin there i think there's not as much pressure on women to be perfectly quaffed and then i've heard in france apparently who cares what you look like if you're not presenting it the right way like so the presentation is more important even than the than the raw native whatever material mm-hmm. so there's so many cultures and i think for us as americans we really want everything to be beautiful and it's great when it's beautiful beauty is a wonderful thing it's a wonderful thing you want everyone to be beautiful you want to look good yourself and you want so i don't know on the other hand though i feel that the stories of less than beautiful people still deserve to be told and you can love someone even if they're not ideally beautiful so I don't know. What are opera audiences thinking and doing? I think above all else, they need it needs to be beautiful singing. If you go to the opera and someone is acting up a storm, eating the scenery, being super beautiful, and you can't hear them, you don't care. You don't You care about the care. other person that you can hear. Yep. You hear it's about, true. you can hear, the, I can think of a singer whose name I will not say because of... <laughs> What I'm about to say is a little rude. <laughs> Who's very famous, very successful, and he has an ugly voice. It's very ugly. It's ugly. I don't like listening to it. But on the other hand, you can always hear him. You can always hear him. He always projects over the orchestra. He's also not a great actor. But this guy has got to be a squillionaire. He's doing really well for himself. And in Germany, where I've heard him sing, people are like throwing themselves at the guy. They love him, and you can always you can always hear him. So I mean. That's the that to mm. me is it's going to be the top priority forever. No matter if you put it on a screen in a movie theater, still that has to be there. You have to be able to project and be heard. And anyway, and ideally you'd make a beautiful sound and you would put it in a beautiful package. But whatever. Beauty is ugly. People does yeah go. Yeah, beauty is an interesting thing. Like I think about you know people are always talking about how you know. Um, after 40, you can't work in Hollywood, right? So I live in LA, my husband's a screenwriter, like, you know, this is sort of the world that surrounds us. And, uh-huh. you know, it's like, y- y- women will work in Hollywood until until they their expiration date, and then, like, you'll see them again as a grandmother when they're in their 60s. Um, and, oh, like, yeah, it's really, it's pretty terrible. Um, but I feel like there are some actresses who are able to not have that happen. To Transcend. Them. And I and the reason why, I think there are a couple of reasons why. One, obviously because they're incredible artists, right? There's that. Meryl Streep. But two, who sure. do you mean? Yeah, like yeah. Meryl Streep, like... Um, uh, sorry, actually, there's a joke about this. Like, That's it. She's the one. There's, 
<laughs> there's plenty of there's plenty of work for um, women over sixty named Meryl Streep. Um, that's the joke. Um, who are the ladies is that are in even the over feud? sixty? Though is she even over sixty? Because she um, might be like fifty three. I mean, <laughs> I think I think she is. No, I, I think she is. She, but the I don't thing, know. But Wikipedia th- would know. But I anyway. think that Meryl Streep is a great example because obviously she's working a lot. Um, but the big thing about Meryl Streep is that even from early on in her career, when she was really, really beautiful and could very she's 68 easily, eight yes, for the record. Yeah. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh, she's whoa. definitely. Whoa. Yeah. She does she not looks look great. it. She looks great. Um, I saw sorry, her in go person ahead. last October. I yeah, saw her in person last That's a funny story, but anyway, awesome. carry on. No, that's great. Yeah. She's a little tiny spindly thing. She's so small. Um, like. She's surprising like five foot one, which you don't expect because her personality is very towering. I feel like right um, as an actor. Right. Yeah. But she the thing about her is that even from an, you know, from an early age, when most actresses buy into the conversation, which is you have to look a certain way and you have to sell what you have right you have to you have to sell the sex you have to sell and yeah. the objectification in order to matter the thing about that is that that only that has an expiration date right but even yeah. even from a young age she was like in sophie's choice she was you know the, this romantic mm. lead and she was beautiful but she was dealing with material and um and that was not about her sexuality. That's right. That was not about her sexuality. And, you know, she had scenes of ugly, right? She had scenes of ugliness, scenes of, you know, crying and like the makeup's running of and whatever. Real and, like, humanity. Yeah, of real humanity. So that as an audience, we're not just looking at her as an object, you know, as mm-hmm. beauty. Like there, there are many, many yeah. different faces to this person as an artist. Multidimensional. Yes, extremely. And, Not an object. And I feel yeah. like there are actresses that do that. And I feel like that has to be the case as well in, in any profession. Like in any profession where you are on stage, where you are being... Um, it, I mean, for lack of a better, like exploited in some way, like you, yeah, you prostituted, know, yeah, but like, right, yeah, exactly, right. Oh man, in in a, in a way, I mean, yeah, yeah. But, I wanted to say about this for the artists themselves. Think about why why is it that you're doing this, right? Why do we do this? And I think that if you're willing to go to a human place at the ex- risk risking ex- exposing the ugly parts of yourself, that's going to be a much more rewarding experience for the artist but also i would i would argue for the for the audience member i mean it's a different experience it's not see i can't say this this is sound gonna sound rude and i don't mean but it's like the ballet is so beautiful it's so beautiful always like there's where's the ugliness in ballet the ugly characters are like wearing a weird costume and then moving in this perfect graceful way there is a place (laughs) there is a place where it is always beautiful but, and some people think that opera is the same. Some people think that opera should be artificial, should be always beautiful. And I kind of don't agree. And I think maybe that's a question of fuck. Like if you sing certain roles, maybe you have to be objectified. Maybe you are this kind of ingenue that's only purpose is to be beautiful, to make beautiful sounds. Um, and I do want to make beautiful sounds. And I don't know about making <laughs> ugly sounds because it probably hurts you ultimately, but I always do it. Like if it's called like Don Anna when her dad dies, I don't sure. want to be like, singing all technically I want to be like sobbing I mean it's I don't know maybe for me personally I'm glad we're having this conversation it's really polarizing my ideas for me personally it's very important to be a human more than to be a beautiful object 
So mm. in as much, you're right. In as much as beauty is great to look at, you also maybe need it for the sake of comparison so that you know, like, this is a darker moment and more difficult, a grittier, challenging, more challenging moment. You need it all in order to make a worthwhile story. Well, in order hmm. to have, in order to have art, right? In order for yeah. it to be, yeah. you know, to be something that is dynamic, you know, we're talking about like, you know, being dynamic as people and also being dynamic as artists, like you have to like have experiences and you have to be willing to show and, and experience those things in front of people. One of my, one of my favorite acting teachers said to me once, acting is being private in public and Oh, I love that. Yeah. And it was it was a really profound thing for me because, you know, it is. It, it's like, you know, again, like the soft, squishy parts. Ta-da! Like, you know, Echolo. Echoly. <laughs> and and um, and it might not be accepted and or it might not be culturally what people are interested in. And this comes sort of back to this idea of what, you know, we were talking about with this performance in Dresden or the, you know, the opportunity to potentially perform in Dresden. Like the idea, I think, of um, being being both vulnerable and also still owning your own position, like still, you know, making determinations for yourself that are between you and God instead of you and everyone around you, like so that it, mm-hmm. it really is sort of an inside decision that then is manifested to the world. Like that takes the pressure, I think, off of an audience. Mm-hmm. It takes the pressure mm-hmm. yeah. off of, you know, because they no longer have to feel responsible for my happiness or my, you know, whatever. Like they they get to just experience it like they, for whatever it is for them. Mm-hmm. That brings us back to the very beginning. Do you... Yeah. You are in you are allowed to react to something exactly the way that you react to it. Like whatever your yeah. your experience is, that is valid. That is a worthwhile reaction. So people are always asking, I'm sure it's the same for you guys, when they find out I'm a classical singer, when they find out that singing has degrees of healthiness. I'm sorry, there's a car driving by. When people find out that singing has degrees of healthiness, they want permission to like the artists that they already like. They want me to validate, like, oh, well, is Adele a healthy singer? Is she a good singer? Like, nope. do you consider Adele a good singer? She's do you a great think singer, that she's not healthy. That, well, but, I mean, whatever, as an example, it doesn't matter. Do you, sure. do you, like, Brian Adams? What do you think about this singer? Like, that singer? What do you think about Evanescence? Rod I remember Stewart. just people really wanting me to validate what they like. And I, and I always say, I wish that you would just enjoy what you enjoy. <laughs> I wish that you would just... Go ahead. You don't need permission yes. to like what you like. I That's think right. if people had exposure to classical music without the baggage, without the belief that it requires a lot of education in order to understand it, it requires a lot of uh, snobbery. You have to be wealthy. You have to be white. There's all these elements that people go in with a lot of baggage. And honestly, I think if they just experience it directly the way that they do, they would find something in it that's worthwhile for them. If they, get, Like you yeah. said, if they took the pressure off. Absolutely. This, this reminds me of our conversation with Robert Norman, um, whenever that was, a couple weeks ago or last week. And um, we were talking about how he was. T- he told a story about how he ruined Andrea Bocelli for his mother because he sort of <laughs> pointed out some things to her about his singing and then she could no longer enjoy it. And that's something that we do have a tendency to do an opera because our standards are so high and we're so discerning because of our training. Um, that then when someone comes in and they're like, you know, some, <laughs> I'm trying to think of an example because everyone sings Nessun Dorma these days. Like I think Celine Dion yeah. has sung Nessun Dorma. I don't Bless know her. if that's true or not, but <laughs> like, I feel like, 
Oh, you know who it is? It's Marie Osmond. Um, she, anyway, but uh, wait, really? Separate topic. <laughs> yeah, YouTube it. By but, the way, um, you YouTube Aretha Franklin singing that. You'll oh, I have. You'll never look back. That's right. I've <laughs> but seen I do it. Love me some Aretha. I don't even care. She can sing that. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's a great aria. Let's face it. Well, she's an example of someone who doesn't wine. apologize. You know, she's someone who doesn't. She's apologize. not sorry. That's right. Oh yeah, she's like the Meryl Streep of music. She's yeah. like, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do. That's I mean, right. maybe that's, a, not, that's right. She's not. The, she's not Meryl Streep. They're not even comparable. But I just mean she's someone no, that didn't absolutely. offer her sexuality. She didn't sell her sexuality. Yeah. I wonder she if she talent. Yeah, she's, I wonder how many celebrate. drops of sweat there were over wanting to be thin on her part. It's I don't know. I didn't know her. She personally. started out pretty thin. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she just yeah, aged, she and like most people, she got fatter. Oh, okay. But I wanted to say though, um, I think it's hard because also there's sour grapes. When you're a classical musician and you live in America, and people don't have exposure to your art, they want you to apologize for it. They tell you stupid things. I've heard people say, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you can cross over into more mainstream. And I'm like, That's, this is not Plan B. What I'm doing is not Plan B. Yeah. So I think I used to have this great deal of like defensiveness when it came to to pop music I just thought I'm not allowed to like that now because what I like is this and this is different but I went a couple of years ago I was singing in St. Louis and there was the the company was doing a perform uh performances of of Cosi Fantute that was my contribution I was singing Fiordaligi and they were also doing the um Sorry, the demon barber of Fleet Street. What's it called? I'm so sorry. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Sweeney Todd. Yeah, no, Todd. Where's my brain? No. Okay, so they were doing Sweeney Todd, and <laughs> it was a great cast, and the music is actually incredible. It is and incredible. And I went to it, and I sat there, and the, it was so dark, and I found it really disturbing rather than, like, funny, but people who were already familiar with it were, like, rolling in the aisle. They thought it was so funny, and I don't think it's funny, but I did acknowledge that was really great art. And mm-hmm. I was going in with this snobby perspective, like Mozart is infinitely superior and there's no way I'm going to like this. But I realized, wow, just because one thing is great doesn't mean something else which is different cannot also be great. That's so right. So I think this is wow. this is the same as what we we're saying before. If, if you're a trumpet, don't try to be a cello. That's right. Yeah. Well, maybe if you're, I don't know, people are allowed to like what they like. Maybe there's room for all of us. And maybe yeah. quality will out regardless of where it's coming Absolutely. from. You know what I mean? Sond- Sondheim couldn't be Mozart because Mozart already was. No. Right. Yeah. And thank heavens he wasn't trying. You know, yeah. he did something different. And it's really worthwhile yeah. and really is- affecting. And I will still stand by the fact that I think people are weird who are like laughing. That's true. I mean, I did a, I did a production of Sweeney Todd a couple of years ago. Um, I sang The Beggar Woman and... I don't recall. That is dramatic. Yeah. Oh, yes. It was so much fun. It was one of my favorite roles I've ever played. Um, because you get to be, you know, the young innocent and then had to get raped on stage. That's happened to me a few times. It's really not awesome. But <laughs> it's what it is. Oh, um, Yeah. But and then, you know, and then you get to be the old hag who sort of like, you know, crawls across the floor and and yells obscenities and crazy things. It's awesome. Like, it's great, right? And then you actually do get to sing a little bit at the end with real real notes. Um, but I loved... Um, I, I loved the amount that that show can reach. Like, I never got tired of listening. Like, you know how you, you're in shows and other people are singing or other people are, are, are performing and you're like, meh. You know, the, the music isn't... <laughs> I'm going to look yeah, at Facebook Exactly. Or <laughs> I'm going to check out right now because because it's not that interesting. And Sweeney Todd has none of that for me. 
Like, yeah, it's really exciting. It's music. just extremely exciting. And like, I mean, and there are definitely, you know, obviously operas that I feel that way about. But um, but I was surprised myself, you know, like what you're describing. When I started, I was like, oh, well, this show is kind of cool. Maybe I'll do it, you know. And and I read up on it and I was like, OK. And so I auditioned and did it. And but I was really surprised at how much I loved it. And like, yeah. Right. And. Yeah, that, that's. It. I just think it's funny when we make these divisions within the arts. I already a long time when I mean in music school, I went to BYU, mm-hmm. and I remember this feeling the presence of a strange rift between singers and instrumentalists, and thinking, what are we? It's just weird. And are we like this in the church? This is a question I often ask myself. Hmm. Are musicians in the church divisive? Are we saying us versus them, or or like me versus the world? I had a weird experience a couple of years ago. I was making my Met debut, singing The Countess and the Marriage of Figaro, and I went to Manhattan First Ward, and the organist is someone I deeply respect and admire. I mean, just beautiful composer. He actually has written a couple of songs that I've sung and that I love, and I sang them in a context outside of the Mormon church. I sang in a sacred-themed recital in the cathedral in Santa Fe, one of the pieces that he wrote, and it was so lauded. Uh, by the audience and by the other singers and it was such a good experience and everyone was uplifted by this song and it was a donated concert it was no I didn't earn any money but um I remember I went up to him to tell him you know or no excuse me that summer I wrote him a letter on Facebook because we had a mutual Facebook friend and I said you wrote this piece and it was so moving for all these people I just want you to know it made a huge difference and I'm so grateful that you wrote it it was it really and it was actually when I was rehearsing it with the pianist and there's like an, a first Nephi quote at the top of the sheet music. I mean, it's whatever, but he, and he's like, I don't know what, whatever, some other Christian denomination, but he, he was not familiar with the music yet. And he was playing through it and he was crying. He was mm-hmm. so moved by it that he was crying. This piece is just really wonderfully written. It's so uplifting. So I was trying to tell him, trying to express like you did such a great thing for the world by writing this piece. And all he wrote back to me was, I hope that you paid to be able to sing that song and if you're going to give the sheet music to anyone you just make sure they buy it instead of and I was like crushed I thought how can someone obviously so noble to write this beautiful music that really uplifts be so interested in the bottom line and I I was like really upset about it so then when a few years later so that was in 2010 so this is now four and a half years later I'm in New York City and he's playing and I've never met him personally he's playing the organ and he's like doing crazy things he's transposing the hymns in the middle he's like making it a big beautiful it was so beautiful and it was so committed and really quality music he was just making quality music and I was so appreciative of that he he made a huge contribution to the meeting so I went up to thank him and I was like really sincere and from my perspective, that never happens. And music is something that means more to me than almost anything else. So he made a huge difference for me personally. And I wanted to tell him that. But he was so defensive and weird. And he did not want to hear about it. And he was like, don't talk to me. I'm just doing But I realized he had to put on this armor because yeah. he's probably putting his, like you said, his tender bits out there to be jabbed by people who do not appreciate it. And I yeah. think that's being a painful experience. But he's coming back for more torture every week. And then I wanted to offer him a genuine compliment, but he was so armored, he couldn't receive it. And he, and I said to him that I was approached by a record company and they asked me what kind of music I wanted to record. And they were interested in particularly American composers. Maybe I would make an American recording. And I told them his name and I said, I would really like to record some of your music 
for this record company. Would you have you written anything secular? Because I probably wouldn't want it to only be sacred. And he said, I don't write anything for your kind of voice. <gasps> and I was like, what? I was like, I said, well, you don't know um, what kind of voice that is. You've never heard, heard me sing. But he was like, well, whatever. It was just like this awkward, weird interaction. But also, I forgot that same Sunday, um, it was like Christmas time. And there was a really beautiful program. And there was a choir. And there was this girl in the choir. And I just felt for her because, I don't know, everyone in that ward was wearing like six pairs of false eyelashes and like 40-inch heels. <laughs> there was a lot of artifice. There was a lot of appearance happening. There was a lot of new paint on old barns. You, know you already mean? said Manhattan first ward, so I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> maybe edit that part out. I don't know. But no, I don't know. Maybe it was particular. to, And maybe it's not even the first ward. I don't remember. Whatever ward I went to, it was at that building on yeah, Columbus Avenue. Yeah. But anyway... um. <laughs> they it was like a lot of pressure to look really good i think in the and it's probably yeah. something to do with new york city and whatever i don't know but um and there's pressure everywhere but i just felt it was a little heavier handed than in other circumstances that i've personally yeah. experienced but this one girl she was singing so loudly in the choir and it was like that thing you talked about and i had that too being eight and being told like you can't sing with everyone because you're too loud <laughs> and i just thought i felt for her so much and i wanted to tell her like I acknowledge you and I acknowledge that you're singing and you're giving your best to the Lord and you're trying to do the right thing. So I said to her afterwards, you're a real singer. You're a singer and you're doing it. She's like, yeah, I'm a professional singer. I sing on Broadway. And she's like, turns out to just be auditioning for stuff. She's not succeeding, bless her. Yeah. And I'm sure she's getting criticism left and right. But it was, she was very dismissive of me and my mm. compliment because she was armored against me. Yeah. So this is what I'm saying in the church. Are, and, and I noticed because of these two experiences with her and with this this organist that's also a composer, I w noticed that element in my own behavior because like we've we've talked about in the beginning, singing at church is such a challenging experience. The only way I'm able to cope with it, I think, is to just armor myself, just to be like, I'm doing this, but I'm separate from everyone. I don't need to absorb any of the commentary. I just do You know, I'm doing my duty and it's going to be done. And I think we need to be careful not to be divisive. We need to be open hearted specifically toward the other members of our community who are trying to do something with music. That's that's a that's an important thing to have in common. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. And I totally, totally agree. <laughs> you guys are awesome. This is so great. You guys are awesome. Yay. We can do this for hours. It's I true. Yes. We're good. happy to do this again. All right. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for joining okay, us. Thank yes. you. It was such so a much pleasure. Fun. Okay. Love, 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 guys. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Okay. Bye. Bye.